episode 17 of Intelligent Transport's podcast. My name is Leah Hockley. I'm the editor of Intelligent Transport and your host for today. And joining me on this episode is Kevin Orr, founder and CEO of Lyft Tango. Today, we will be discussing the importance of tackling transport inequity and how this can be achieved through the implementation of effective and efficient demand responsive transport services. So, Kevin, first of all, I would just like to say thank you so much for joining me today. It really is fantastic to have you here to discuss such an important topic for the industry. Thanks, Leah. Yeah, great to be here and looking forward to having a chat about it. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think to begin our conversation today, I think it would be really great if you could um, possibly provide our listeners just with a bit of background on Lift Tango as perhaps maybe a new name to some of them. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the business and its purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Leah. So Lyft Tango began about five years ago. Um, We launched uh, a number of shared mobility products uh, into the corporate sector over in Australia. Um, So worked with large clients such as Qantas and universities. Um, And then we were lucky to get involved in what were called on-demand bus trials um, or demand responsive transport if you're over in Europe or micro transit if you're over in the US. Uh, But these are pretty groundbreaking trials for, uh, I guess, the, the, the governments and the municipalities uh, to basically trial if the Uber-like technology that had been, I guess, beneficial but disruptive to the taxi industry could be applied into the, the public bus network uh, around uh, Sydney and around the kind of more rural parts of, of New South Wales. Um, so I was very fortunate, I guess, to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, and I guess we had a a nice team that were able to develop, I guess, a lot of new features that had never been developed before through the sort of trial and test phase of uh, these sort of public uh, on-demand bus trials. Um, and then the success of them really took off. So we've been launching uh, this, uh, a couple of products, but the, the demand response transport product into the US market uh, a few years ago. Um, and probably more recently, about 18 months ago into the, the UK market and also into the European market more recently as well. Um, We provide, I guess, a a solution to the public transport uh, industry. Um, We have similar solutions that we provide into sort of the private corporate sectors as well. So um, very similar, but slightly different uh, value propositions. But uh, we we do work with the likes of um, IKEA, uh, Nike, uh, um, Walmart, Tesla and various others, um, mostly in the US, on moving people in and around their their campuses or getting people to and from home to their campuses in a more sustainable uh, and, I guess, more equitable manner as well. So, um, yeah, that's probably the long slash short version of Lift Angle. Fantastic. Thank you. And I wanted to pick up on something that you said right at the end there about equity. And obviously, one of the current really key focuses for the public transport industry at the moment is tackling inequity within rural and underserved communities, just as you said, by improving access to transport. So in your opinion, why do you think it is so important that tackling transport inequity is achieved? I think I think it's hugely important uh, to, to give access to transport um, to everybody in our society. Um, it's, it's the knock-on effects of not providing this level of transport is, uh, I guess, an isolation and loneliness that people can can have if they don't have access to 
I guess, funds to be able to buy a car and, and move around the, the communities. Um, we hear a lot of stories of if our services weren't in the community or, or available to them, that they would just be staring, like it's typically slightly older demographics, but they would be staring at the same four walls that they have done for the last couple of days. Um, they're really just looking to get out and connect with, you know, people in the community, be it, a, I guess, go to the market, go to the shops for the Wednesday shop. Um, and it's really, I guess, a, a very unappreciated um, piece is, the, is the, the access to transport to keep people, you know, thriving and connected. Um, there are a lot of good studies out there, though, from uh, very intelligent people, much smarter than myself, who've actually put, I guess, a, a more economic figure to uh, providing uh, everybody or more people in the community access to transport. And, and it's something like every pound invested um, into uh, sort of social transport around moving people around the community returns roughly 10 pounds in economic benefit for for that community um, so it's, it's there is an economic you know everything comes down to economics these days um, so there's an economic benefit but ultimately it's a it's a human and, and well-being uh, benefit that we're we're keen to keen to tackle in, in other areas that we aren't working in but there is a I guess a, a movement and a, and a, a greater appreciation these days that the rural areas shouldn't be forgotten. You can't just focus on the likes of London, you know, bigger cities like Manchester, Liverpool. You need to focus in around those areas. And I think that's accelerated due to COVID. The sort of the, the movement of people away from the cities um, in the past couple of years into the more rural and regional parts of, of the UK and, and similar in the US, Australia, and Europe. Has meant that I guess those those travel patterns that the system, the, the, the fixed route bus system, was was designed on um, pre-COVID uh, is is unknown now, um, and people have moved into rural areas. Their only really option right now is probably driving. We don't want that. <laughs> we don't want single occupancy driving it um, as much as we can avoid it. So the the push I guess due to COVID has been into yeah, a, a, a need to understand the new movement of people and a need to provide transport into the areas that the people are moving into. And there's more you know, greater density and more people in the in the rural areas than, than before. So in some ways it's it's been a net, you know, net positive to see see what's happened with COVID. That that level of disruption sometimes can can make uh, I guess some good things happen. Um, and I think we've seen bit of a shake-up that's meant that uh, a more demand-responsive transport solution is necessary, really, these days. So, um. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that within the public transport industry, we very much associate the pandemic with very negative connotations. Obviously, it had such a significant impact on everything, didn't it? You know, ridership and revenue and all this sort of stuff. And I think it's really interesting and refreshing, I suppose, to hear that it's in some ways had a really positive impact on public transport in terms of sort of increasing the adoption of such a new form of transport and I don't know if you'd agree with that and if you think that you know it's something that will only accelerate moving forward. Yeah I, I have to totally agree with that. Uh, I mean it's I think transport planners pre-COVID um, there, there was a way of doing things uh, and 
actually changing things wasn't necessary because you know, all that data, all that movement of people had been collected over years and years and years. So actually the design of the systems and the solutions, while could have still been improved with demand responsive, there was less of a need, less of a, a sort of shakeup that meant they had to look at them, I suppose. Um, but now transport planners, councils, just, I mean, it goes all the way up to the, you know, the MPs and even the CEOs who are looking at, I guess, the, the transport solutions for their their, their constituents and, and, and their staff that, that, you know, they do care about this. So they, they're looking for more modern solutions, I think, to, to get people moving around um, more sustainably and more economically. And I guess just more in the, the, the fitting of what the, the passengers are actually looking for as well which is um, difficult when you you don't have that data set that you previously had because you've had a two-year hiatus of, of you know, really understanding people's movements. That data is not there um, and people have moved around. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky one for the, for the transport planners, but the, they are embracing it um, and they're looking, I guess, at very different things to what they were doing pre-COVID, um, which is great to see um, from our view. And I think it's only great for the the people in those communities too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you mentioned there about solutions and that was, there are sort of many different options, aren't there, that can be considered by operators and authorities when looking to improve this access to transport and transport equity and that sort of thing. And, you know, coming back to sort of Lifango's purpose, obviously demand response of transport is commonly considered to be one of the most effective solutions to tackle this. So I don't know if maybe you can provide us with sort of some insight into how DRT can offer this solution to delivering transport equity more specifically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the sort of simple concept of DRT, where we are effectively applying uh, a digital layer to existing services that are operating via, you know, pen, paper, people's minds, um, you know planning people are planning these things based on a, a geolocation problem and a time-based problem it's very complex um, but these services like dial a ride or public transport uh, DRT as it's been because we kind of refer to when you apply a technical layer it's kind of start to be called dynamic or digital uh, DRT so DDRT is kind of slowly being adopted as a, as a I guess a term we use but there are services out there that are running manually in there there's a lot of a lot of overheads that's being done by people uh, people power so we do a pride provide that technology that kind of automates a lot of that so i guess the people who are traditionally working on it will be able to work on more value add things and um, just have less of a headache from the, the geospatial and the, the time-based problem um, but then you go beyond that and you look at areas where the, the current design of the service or the previous design of the service isn't isn't doing what it could do uh, isn't getting as many people on the service or is seeing a decline in passenger numbers which is actually what we saw for over the for up to the pre-covid um, stage we were seeing passenger decline across the UK as an example uh, year on year um, quite considerable so something had to be done to kind of buck that trend um, I think that's that's kind of it's it's it, it's kind of a collection of all these things over time that have meant that DDRT is starting to be uh, adopted. Um, the nice way I think of 
DDRT's place within a, a kind of, I guess, a rural community. Um, and I guess a good example is in our, our project down in the North Lincolnshire region. Um, it's a bit of a safety net solution. So we we are deployed or we provide transport, I guess, across the whole region, which is, I think, a 515 square mile area. So it's, it's really quite large. Um, the the things that we've seen during the, the time of that project is that now and again, bus routes, fixed route bus routes will be basically cancelled and pulled and taken away. Um, and if Liftango's DDRT solution wasn't available there, the, the people who are typically relying on that fixed route bus would, would be completely lost without any form of transport. And typically what happens is it's a letter and a complaint and a bit of a a bit of a people revolution back up into the councils and the MPs hear about it and start looking at things to do. As at least with a solution like ourselves, you can really pick up, I guess, those people that get left behind by by decisions which are outside of their control, um, really. Um, so I, th I think we're going to see a little more of that, unfortunately, um, in at least in the UK and, and sort of similar areas around the world, where due to the, I guess, this new movement of people um, post-pandemic, a lot of the previous fixed bus, fixed route bus route, um, fixed bus route, sorry, will will not be economical uh, for the bus operators. So they will have a tricky decision to make if they change it or or pull it. Um, I think it's it's just the because of the, the change in people, it's it's probably necessary. I mean, you can't keep running a service that's it's not fit for purpose. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. Um, and unfortunately, there'll be some people in our communities that will will probably not have access to to transport in the same way that they had before. So, um, I guess our our challenge and our the reason we exist is to to get more of our projects live and, and get more access um, available to to these people for for movement. Um, similarly, in corporate settings, it's it's kind of the same sort of thing. Uh, I guess you, you hear about the the, the movement of uh, the great resignation, as they call it, <laughs> where people are moving companies all the time. Uh, it's been a big push from from corporates into providing transport to get their staff to and from the, the office or, or the factory or uh, the, the, the sites that they work at um, to, to maintain, the, I guess, the, the staff they've got and to capture new staff and, and to keep doing what they're doing. So um, definitely seeing more and more of that as well. Absolutely. And I think if we pick up on your point there about, you know, fixed route services and sort of comparing it to the DRT in this way, do you think that it is the flexible nature of its operation that makes DRT so attractive to operating authorities that are implementing the solution, as well as the passengers that utilise it, as opposed to instead implementing new or additional fixed route services in order to better facilitate passenger movement? Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think it's quite a compelling argument to say if you if you launch a DRT service in this geo region, you know, geo fenced region, that everyone who lives there has access to transport, 100% coverage instantly. When the other option is is a fixed route service where you're you're essentially picking the the, the, the denser areas to to design to travel through, um, and really you've got to be fortunate enough to live near a bus stop um to, to be able to real you know really enjoy that service and i think um 
there's some really nice studies out there where I think 450 meters uh, away from a bus stop is is kind of a, a threshold for for the humans, for the human mind, or the ourselves in the community to consider walking to that bus stop. So anything that's beyond that starts to become a decision point where you would start looking at driving. Um, and I'll be guilty of that myself. I, I've definitely had I looked at a map and gone, it just feels like a bit too far. Um, and I, you know, obviously a keen share of ability, uh, you know, committed person, but I still have those sort of inklings every now and then as well. So, yeah, I think it's a very, I mean, just that 100% uh, coverage to provide people with transport is very compelling to, to councils and uh, municipalities. Um, and then I think you go a step further and you, you look at um, some of the economic value that can be gained um, as well, where you're looking at slightly smaller vehicles, they're not running when they don't need to be running. For example, there's no passengers to pick up. The fixed route bus will still be running. Well, a, a DDRT service will obviously just only go uh, when and when it's needed. So you, you do save a little bit from that, but also you, you know, from a, a pollution, unnecessary pollution viewpoint, you do actually you know, save save the environment in a small way, you know, less, less kilometers traveled and, Diesel vehicles, typically, you know, a lot of the, the car, the vehicle types that we're, we're still using. There is a transition to EVs, but the supply chain right now is a bit tricky for not just EVs, but everything <laughs> like in this world. Um, so yeah, you, you do start to see, and, and actually the, the data, I should say, the data from our services is probably the surprising aspect for our, uh, for our, uh, councils and, and customers that we work with because um, there's just a rich it's just a huge rich vein of, of data to, to understand um, so we do a lot in the analytics and, and helping them you know, design and create things around the community based on what people's movements are and how to maximize and get more people using the service um, we've got a few more levers to pull as well digitally uh, so yeah there's there's a couple of really compelling reasons yeah, um, to, to use DDRT. Uh, and it's not necessarily the solution you should pick in all use cases. I mean, I, I probably should have caveated, caveated that before. Fixed street works great in, in, you know, when you're trying to transport a lot of people between high-dense regions or through high-dense areas. And fixed street's very economical and you get a lot of people on those vehicles. Um, so there's no need to have DDRT uh, into those areas. But... But when it's there is a tipping point when those vehicles aren't being utilized that well, um, it's, it's how do you, you know how do you change it? How do you get more people on those vehicles? Well, you, you just make it more flexible, more convenient, uh, and that's where DDRT starts to become the, the solution of choice. But um, yeah, it's 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 a couple of large reasons alongside some uh, sort of smaller complementary reasons, which we typically see the decisions getting made on. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. I just want to make a point about, you know, it's a word that's come up a lot in the past 15, 20 minutes, which is about sort of economy and economical impact. And obviously, there is very clear evidence that DRT supports really successful economic development within the areas that it is operating. But if we take a step back from sort of it already being launched and in operation obviously there is a really significant commitment required by those looking to invest into and launch DRT services 
And I suppose also no small amount of confidence from the involved PTOs and PTAs, which maybe makes some of them hesitant to consider it as a viable solution. So drawing from your own experience, how can these transport authorities and operators address and limit the risks of this investment in a new technology such as DRT, as well as ensure its positive outcomes? Yeah, that's a great question. Really great question. There, there's luckily a lot of studies now that pinpoint exactly the, the value of DDRT uh, to the to the taxpayer. Um, there is still the, the, the conversation is if you replace a you know one fixed route service with DDRT, you typically you know you're probably going to add in a, a vehicle. So you might have two vehicles and then you've got two vehicle costs plus two salary costs. So the, the costs go up. Um, that that isn't a, an economical uh, I guess use case that we see. Uh, and luckily the studies have kind of expressed that, which is great, but they've also said the viable uh, long-term nature of, of DDRT is actually in a blended um, combined uh, solution with fixed route. So you have your fixed route running in the areas that it should run, but it's complemented by DDRT into those fixed route hubs, um, which just, you know, if you just think of design in your head, it feels very sensible, doesn't it? Have a couple of main trunk routes and then feed everything into that. You start to design a, a very viable solution. Um, but these are the studies that we've seen through the, the on-demand bus trials that Transport for New South Wales ran, uh, which were you know, five years ago. I think they wrapped up three years ago and they've integrated them into the the large scale public transport tenders that they run over there. And these are sort of 10 year contracts that they, they provide. There's DDRT across uh, the, you need to have a DDRT solution uh, to win those tenders uh, these days. Um, and you need to be experienced in it as well um, because it is a complex, complex beast. Um, the, the good thing I think as well, when you take a look at the, um, the, the investment is we, we've seen where DDRT doesn't work as well. So, I mean, it's, it's quite, quite important that you, you understand that. Um, so we we're seeing probably more PTOs, PTAs do the analysis stage upfront and spend more time on that rather than just go to this new glitzy DDRT thing is going to solve all the problems. They actually spend a little bit more time going, and, and, and we, we spend a lot of time with our clients saying you need to do this as well because it's only good for DDRT and it's only good for the client and it's only good for de-risking, I guess, everything we do across the once we go live as well. But we, we make sure that we really understand the zone. The area that we're going to be launching in is, is optimized uh, as well. The design of that area as well, how we move people around that zone is optimized. Uh, so we do a lot of that in-house uh, analysis um, up front with our a new mobilities team, which a uh, fair few number of PhDs live in that team. And uh, they spend a lot of time making sure that the clients are, are launching, I guess, an optimized solution. Uh, and then we can roll out, you know, you understand the economics up front. So you're not getting, I guess, a surprise when, when you go live and things maybe, you know, are a bit off to the KPIs, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we do spend a lot of time on that, that kind of pre-planning and, and, simulation design basically uh, of of what will happen when it goes live 
Um, and the good thing is we're using, I guess, our algorithm, which is then rolled out live into the service. So you actually get a very, very good representation of what you'll, you'll see on the ground. Um, and then, yeah, like you say, the, the positive outcomes of those uh, are shown up front as well. So it becomes a, I guess a, a, a point of uh, decision at the, do we do DRT or do we not? Well, we've simulated, we've shown you what you can achieve if you rolled this out um, and then it's a, a decision that typically goes upstairs to the council members um, and and we, we move on from there if, if they want to get that benefit into their community or not so we do just know a lot more i guess about ddrt than we did two years ago for example three years ago um, there's just a lot more it's a lot more maturity amongst ourselves uh, and various competitors like the more mature competitors in our field um and i th i think that's what you're seeing in the industry is you're seeing trust in the people who've done this the longest the people who've got i guess good pedigree um rather than the the, the new the new companies that are a little bit earlier stage you're seeing i guess uh i guess less trials more we need to roll this out for three years, five years, seven years. So we need to work with a trusted provider for that length of time. Uh, and that's definitely a movement we've seen probably in the past year where it's, uh, you need to have strong experience and, and, and pedigree and, and help the clients through this really is, is what we're offering rather than just a procurement for a technology system. Uh, those days are, are, are gone. So yeah, to summarize, I think there's uh, various ways you can kind of, if you do a lot of the analysis up front as a PTO or a PTA, uh, you can de-risk your, your project and understand the economic value uh, up front and make a decision from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think picking up on your the point that you mentioned there about, you know, <laughs> companies that are well cemented within the industry, obviously Lyft Tango is certainly really experienced in this field. And I'm sure that you have plenty of success stories that you could share with us today. Obviously, you've mentioned Transport Wales and your work with sort of commercial partners outside of the public transportation industry. I wonder if maybe you could provide us with an insight into some of the projects that you've launched over the past couple of years, which I'm sure has seen you not only deal with the usual challenges of implementing DRC technology, but additionally, obviously, having to face the challenge of successfully launching during a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely interesting projects in our uh, in our I guess history now. Um, what's kind of nice about Lift Tango and I guess the projects we get to work on is, is there's a real range. It really is, you know, you're not necessarily just working on public transport. You're working in community transport. Um, you know, those people in the community are sick, elderly, disabled, and that's a that comes with a whole uh, I guess new spread of, of problems technically that you need to cater for um so you get you get to work on those really interesting evolving projects um over over the, the years and that's that's the public transport stream but also in the corporate transport stream there's there's definitely a, a number of solutions there we've rolled out uh recently that are again solving the same problem but um just really interesting projects that we're working with with our clients so i'll probably start on the corporate transport example uh that we've just rolled out uh at Nike. Um, so Nike are, are looking, they've got a huge campus, huge campus in, in Portland. Um, 
it's like a mini city i'll, I'll be perfectly honest 30 i believe thirty thousand people <laughs> moving around that uh when it's when i guess when it's not covid work from home times um but they have a mix of vehicles that uh, i guess move their people around so they got fixed route uh, buses that are transporting people typically slightly further from say local train stations uh, or just looping around the, the campus they've got electric uh, drt uh, which is we'll say, uh, more of a taxi shared taxi style so slightly smaller vehicles um, you can move around to different meetings around the campus uh, in that way and they've got our, a carpool product as well that they've uh, rolling out so there's multiple solutions there uh, to connect people into you know, one form of transport, be it a car, a, a D, DRT, electric um, DRT, or a, a larger bus. And, and we provide the technology solutions uh, alongside our partner there, um, who, who provides the vehicle uh, operations and, and runs the driver operations. Um, but they're, they're really driven to firstly provide a great service for their staff, but at the same time track the, the movement of people uh, from a, a to understand the sustainability of the solutions they've implemented. Um, the, what we're seeing in, in Nike and, and probably IKEA, uh, I'd say is probably the other really um, ambitious corporate that we're seeing out there really push on this is um, the, they have a really ambitious sustainability strategy that's been signed off you know, by these executives slash board at the very top of the level and is now permeating down through the company. Uh, and they're looking at not just, I guess, the direct emissions, which are typically scope one and two emissions. So, you know, introducing solar or more efficient aircon, uh, those things are a little bit easier, I'd say, and then maybe have been done. Um, but scope three emissions are being, uh, I guess, included in those strategies. And scope three is probably the more difficult emissions to understand and track. So, scope three CO2 emissions, I guess, are you know, staff movements to and from the site, uh, staff movements to meetings. Um, it's more the indirect uh, emissions that corporates are are putting out there. So we we basically help Nike uh, track what they're you know firstly measure and understand what they're doing today, and then secondly how they can reduce that over time. Uh, and our solutions are um, we call it climate positive. So we we do track the kilometers driven by our drivers, and then we offset more than necessary to make sure that it's climate positive so we, we do help support them in their sustainability strategies um, so it's, it's it's kind of a nice blend of you know they want to provide a nice solution to get make sure that all their staff have a nice way of getting an easy way to get to the sites and move around the site um, but similarly they're really looking at how they can reduce the, the emissions that they're putting out there into the i guess the solve the wider problem um, that we all have of the, with the environment so it's it's a really nice really nice project and ikea is similar um they really got an ambitious strategy which is amazing uh, and i guess when we see that yeah we're you know lift tango has got a really really strong um purpose around social equity and also uh co2 reduction uh, so we get more more excited about those types of projects when we see them as well uh, as a team, um, which is great. So that's kind of the, the one of the most interesting corporate ones that we're working on. Um, there's a few more, but that's probably the most most uh, exciting one I've been involved with recently. In in public transport, 
it's really i mean we, we did a great little project in australia called sports hopper it was really cool it was um transporting kids to and from uh hockey matches and football matches and just you know the sports the sports run basically on on the weekends um so it was those parents who maybe they've got three kids and they've got to pick <laughs> which kids getting uh getting dropped off or they got to do a little bit of management with other parents to to do a bit of a share but if their kids are all going off to different sports um it's tricky for them so we were providing a solution there where you can uh put your, your children on the on the, on the ddrt and get them to their sports game get them home from their sports game uh, as well which is a really cool use case uh, and that was that was with transport for new south wales uh, and our partners transdev there which is a great project um and then, yeah, various others. Um, we're working up in Scotland uh, with High Trans, it's called. Uh, so the High Trans project's um, it's very unique, and it's looking at the, the highlands and islands region. So a lot more remote than anything we've probably worked on uh, before. Um, but there's a lot of like, a lot of need for the solution in those areas. There's already vehicles, I guess, typically running a dial ride or a DDRT. Uh, sorry, a DRT, so less digital. Um, that can that can leverage our technology. So we're we're working with High Trans, rolling various use case projects out in different type of rural settings, uh, and working working closely to you know design those appropriately. Uh, that's a very cool one. Um, and we've got yeah various other ones across Europe, um, sort of in in the preparation of Go Live, um, which again another new market, another new challenge with language barriers. Um, and, and things like that, but it's uh, it's all very very exciting. Yeah, there's there's lots of uh, scope with use cases and I guess countries and areas that can benefit from from the, the technology. So we're we're kept busy and we're kept excited by the types of use cases we see. Definitely, and I think it's always good to be busy than not, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, but it's really great, and you know, it's so interesting to see that DRT has so many different uses and applications i guess than just your sort of standard getting people from a to b on the public transport route so that was brilliant thank you and i think that you know as we sort of start to come to the end of the podcast today i'd like to maybe look to the future and sort of get your thoughts on what you think it looks like for drt and i think if we maybe say let's say in 10 years time what do you think the future looks like for DRT and how significant a role do you think the technology will play in solving transport inequity? Great question. I mean, 10 years is a, 10 years feels like a lifetime. I'll be perfectly honest. It's kind of, it's two lift tangos right there. Um, you know, been going for five years, so it's uh, already seen a huge, huge change across those five years. So I can't imagine almost in some ways what two of those sort of journeys will look like um, going forward. I'll try. Um, I think probably taking it back from 10 years, I, I think we're just seeing this EV revolution. Um, and I think if there was more EVs available, sort of minibus sizes, I think the, the clients we speak to would just be rolling them out today as quickly as they could. Um, the rural areas probably have a little bit more concern on on sort of range and, and how they can, uh, I guess, keep the keep that level of service they have today with uh, sort of ICE vehicles uh, alongside EVs. But I think that's changing and coming. So I think over the course of the next sort of five years, we'll just see this huge EV 
it, like all the services, all the public transport services will probably be EV uh, across that time. And I, and I hope that's the case. Um, the desire is there. I think it's, it's sort of the, the stock and the, the delivery of, of uh, creating them and delivery of them is sort of the thing that's holding it back right now. Um, and I guess for when you talk about the technology, DDRT technology, you've got significant challenges that come with electric vehicles. Um, you've got charging time, for example, um, that you have to keep take in. If you're using an algorithm like ourselves, you've got to take that into account. Um, so we do have an electric vehicle project uh, in uh, New Zealand, uh, which is with Auckland Transport, uh, six, six electric uh, minibuses there. Um, so we're learning an awful lot from that project about what types of data, um, what types of um, pieces of information we, we could take into the algorithm uh, to, to help our customers use EVs. Um, it's, we've only had one incident where the, the EV or one EV vehicle uh, unfortunately ran out of battery. Um, and you know, so we can we, we planned and cater for that, but there's definitely nicer ways to to cater for that to prevent it from happening. For example, um, so there's a lot of really interesting EV-esque uh, sort of solutions that we're we're looking at and working on uh, currently. More in the I guess more the with our clients like Auckland Transport and also in the more desktop study aspect as well. Um, the the transition to that future is probably going to be. I guess a, a, you're going to see a mix of EVs and, and ICE vehicles um, together. And I think there's a lot of optimization you can apply where you send EVs to the most appropriate type of uh, pickups and drop-offs, and then potentially using the, the ICE vehicles for maybe the longer ones or the ones that are up a steep hill, because I know EVs are EVs in charge and hills don't tend to go too well together. Um, so there's a lot of optimization you can provide at that level uh, as well. Uh, when there's a certain mixed fleet, which I think will be something we have to go through. Um, unfortunately, we can't just turn the switch and all go to EVs overnight. So lots to do over the next sort of five years there. Um, when you look into the 10 years, I mean, you, you keep talking about autonomous vehicles, uh, and we've, we're involved in a couple of autonomous vehicle projects. Um, I'd like it to be here in 10 years, I'll be perfectly honest. I think it would be a great addition and and you know when you talk about economics you're talking a bit of a game changer almost but i i'm a little i i, I still need to see more um i think some form of autonomy will be there i just don't know if we're going to have the the feet up on the dashboard and reading a book while we drive style of autonomy uh in that time but um, that's definitely a, a big part of our future uh will be the autonomous vehicle uh, evolution how we implement those um which is great because we've got a couple of projects where we're we're just uh, working with the, the autonomous vehicle providers, um, providing the the information uh, to and from you know passengers back to the autonomous vehicle sort of brain, as you will. Um, so learning a lot in that space as well, um, and how how things work and the the seamless you know once it is ready and and the world is ready for EVs, uh, uh, I think having an already digital uh, design, so DDRT sort of booking platform and, and everything is only going to mean it's more seamless when it comes in. Uh, coming in right now when it's manual is probably more difficult. So I think you'll just see more 
more digital solutions across public transport, be that fixed route, be that DDRT, uh, be that various other forms of uh, modes of booking transport as well. So um, yeah, EVs and AVs, I think for us is uh, where we're seeing, uh, I guess, a big big future where DDRT is, is a sort of key foundational layer um, to maybe can help assist that. Um, and I think when you, what I'd like to see is, is just DDRT rolled out across across the more rural parts of our communities. Um, that's really, I guess, a wish of ours um, that we see. You know, if it's rolled out in ten years' time, it's a it's that safety net, like I was mentioning earlier, where people in the community can access um, I guess access transport, and it's got one hundred percent coverage. Um, you're not just fortunate enough to live near a bus stop. Um, that that will be a future I'll be very proud of. So um, yeah, there's a more there's a more hopeful one for you as well. <laughs> so thank you for that. I mean, you're completely right. Ten years does feel like eternity in the transport industry, doesn't it? So, but um, no, it's really interesting to hear. I think that as with the wider industry as well, I think AVs are going to be a priority. So it'll be really interesting to see how they impact DRT as well. So. Thank you for that. And I love the the little optimistic note at the end there. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> so I think just as a way to sort of bring our episode to close today, just because it's been a really interesting conversation. And I think that to sign it off, just if there are any other sort of final points that you would like to highlight for our listeners today, whether that be on Transport X, DRT or sustainability, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um... To, to sort of sign off, I think, um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to go back through what, what we've probably chatted about, so I'm trying to avoid that. But I think um, we're, we're sort of very, um, very driven to roll the, these types of solutions out in, in more and more areas and, and help, I guess, the education of, of the benefit of these solutions for those areas. So uh, I'm very happy to, to have you reach out and get in touch with us and do, do a bit of scoping work together and, and see see what we can uh, provide you or, or not. So, you know, from that regard, very happy to work together with uh, anyone who's been listening today. Um, but you'll just see us, yeah, we're very busy rolling out lots of projects uh, around the world. So, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll continue doing the, the good work that we're doing and, and just making a difference as we, as we go. So happy to sign off with, with that positive note, I think. Oh, that's great. Thank you. A lovely, lovely note to end on. And it does sadly bring us to the end of our episode today and I'd just like to say thank you so much for joining me Kevin as it was really great to you know hear your thoughts on how demand responsive transport can ensure transport equity as well as all of the really brilliant work that Lyft Tango is doing within this field and how it's supporting the industry in this area. Yeah thanks Leah it's been great to, to be here and have a chat today um, yeah really appreciate the time it's been great. Brilliant thank you so much Kevin. So just before we go, I do have a quick message for our audience. Um, please do make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on our future podcasts. These will be available on our website, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you would normally listen to them. Please do make sure to also subscribe to Intelligent Transport in order to receive a free copy of our magazine as well as to join in on our conversations across our social media channels. But to sign us off today, on behalf of both myself and Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And thank you as well, Kevin, for joining me once again. I look forward to welcoming you all to a future podcast. But for now, thank you and goodbye.